Bandwidth for the Weird Things Podcast provided by Wired Tree. For sites of any size and world-class customer service, head on over to wiredtree.com. Hi, this is After Things. We talk after weird things uh, many times about self-help, other times about uh, self-destruction, other times about finding the gems that you must unite to save your village. Uh, Andrew, welcome. Thank you for having me here on After Things. (laughs) Uh, Brian Brushwood, you are also summoned. Uh, yeah, no, uh, somebody spoke my name three times. I appeared in a puff of uh, purple smoke. I'm here in the vortex for the brief moment that we exist, and then, like, uh, you know, ether, I will dissolve into the void. <laughs> Problem that everybody has with, with, with weird things is that the conversation is too focused. So we've decided to, uh, to have an unrestrained chat in the After Things show. That makes sense. Uh, okay, so let's talk about things that we normally wouldn't talk about weird things. So <laughs> let's call it normal things. I've got a stack of mail. Like I just let it pile up. I pull any bills I got to pay out, but then everything else just collects. Ugh, bills. Uh, dude, uh, this is the first year that I've used Mint. Have you guys – are you on oh, the Mint? Yeah, I, I've been a Mint guy for, for a hot minute now. Uh, hot Mintant? I, I started Mint when they first launched, and then it was just really weird and intrusive, and then so I stopped. I actually, for the first time ever, I hired uh, CJ's son to act as bookkeeper. Where uh, I, I, I realized, he's uh, no, well, I mean, no, he's he's twenty, twenty one, twenty two, or something. But uh, he's a college graduate, and he does bookkeeping work. And I'm like, look, I just need to wave my hands and say, ah, this belongs in this category, that belongs in that category. You go through the mind aching tedium. All right, of too separating. boring. I'm changing the topic. Okay, good. Not, this is this is a fail. Uh, I have an email that we got after our last post weird things podcast. Yeah, is this the first one that we we will like release to patrons or or like or did all the emails that you guys do come from live viewers? Did we release the last? Well, no, yeah, yeah, yeah no, 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 no. Like, like, like what we did last week released as the episode. So it's like it was th- there was like the regular episode, and then there was an additional like forty minutes of me and Andrew just talking about the curious nature of the self help industry. So here's the email. Huge fan of weird things here. Probably the only one in Poland. Also, sorry, English is not my first language. Well, you you write wonderfully. Their name is Marcin. They said, in one of the previous episodes, Monkey 911 of Weird Things, you and Brian went for a short discussion regarding pains of failing projects in numerous trial and error sessions. In particular, how many pilots had to be done before the A&E TV show. This part resonates with me greatly, and I wonder if you or Justin... And Brian had wrote or spoken about how to approach new projects and choose what to do in life professionally. I really want to know more about it. In the meantime, stay weird, guys. Regards, Marcin. Man, I'll tell you what. I actually feel like I, – I perversely feel like because I haven't failed enough or to my own satisfaction, I'm afraid that I'm just setting myself up for bigger failure. For example well, – uh, Brian, um, I think you're a big failure. I think you're qualified to talk about it. You're a huge – oh, my God. You're a dumpster oh, fire. Yeah, we yes, think you're yes. Better. Awesome. Failed a lot. A lot of different ways. I got a dumpster fire. fire. You're a landfill fire, baby. Dude, no, no, no. Like, I started started, uh, scam school thinking that, like, okay, here's another internet startup that there's no chance will be around in one or two years. Let me just get a good old big old fat failure under my belt so I could say I'm the guy that had that show on that failed thing that one time. 
and you know bank the 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 practice and turn it into something good. Uh, I did not expect Scam School to do as well as it did. You know. Yeah, Ooh, Brian, you're not the only one who's surprised. Yeah, all right, all right. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, well, I mean, to answer his question, I don't think we've ever like we don't have like a talk about it, but I think we have talked to each other about it and probably talked a lot about it online in various forms. For me, the biggest thing, the battle for me was the deconstruction of kind of the the prodigy complex that I have in my head and that uh, I think sort of surrounds everybody and and really only is exacerbated when you are friends with really talented and creative people. You just look at your friends or the examples you see around you and you say, well, this person's a genius at 18 and they're already creating things that show, you know, this tremendous promise and, and in, in incredible precision. I'm a failure for not doing that because I'm too old. Like I haven't done it enough, this, that, or the other. When I try it, it's not as good. And it's, it is as I get further away from that, because I don't think that I have eliminated it in myself, that I realize that's where my best work comes from is just do it. Keep doing it. Do it over and over. Understand that it's going to be painful when you first start. And uh, just the more you work at it, the better it's going to be. I, I started writing an article, and if I ever finish it, I'll put it up because it's just one of the things that went to a lot of different points, and it was based on this conversation Justin and I have had about be the prodigy. And the idea is you don't want to be the prodigy. You really, really don't. You can either achieve things because you were born with certain talents and skills and you just left the starting block at a fast pace, or you accomplish things because you worked for those things and you were educated and you had to learn. People who are born brilliant, born super talented in a particular way that it just obvious and starts there. Life after then becomes a huge, huge struggle for them because things work great and then they stop working because they never had the knowledge base to build that upon. And and you yeah. can see that there are certain musicians, you look at the number of people who died at 27 because they were these pretty, you know, they're, they're prodigies as teenagers. The world, you know, just worked for them. And then as they got older and they entered adulthood, they had a problem and they turned to drugs and other things because they couldn't, you know, make it work. You know, the Beatles, great example of people who worked for it. You know, those guys, night after night, Hamburg, Germany, performing, performing, spent a year getting really, really, really good. And there may have been some talent early on. You could see they had some sort of, you know, abilities, particularly of Paul or John, but they weren't like Jimi Hendrix level. You know, they weren't at that level of like, oh my God, this is amazing. They earned that and they worked towards that and their careers were spent just building and building on top of where they go to, you know, and I think that that's in writing in other places in other creative endeavors, you want to be the person that earns the talent and earns the place you are rather than just be born into it. So uh, th- there's a difference you and I have as far as like uh, uh, goal setting and so on. I-, I know that philosophically you've mentioned that you feel like there are things that are under your control. You could control how many books you write in a year. You can't control how many people buy the book. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and as a result, it sounds like you dislike goal setting that involves um, uh, any element – of that's outside of your control because you can't cause it. Uh, I've been thinking about that a lot lately, and I guess 
I guess what I think I'm doing is I think I'm setting targets, not so much as goals, because like, uh, you know, when I say, you know, I want so many people following me or, you know, for example, you could look at the trending data on on uh, on YouTube and say, okay, it looks like sometime in, you know, 2015 we'll cross over the million subscriber mark or whatever. So it's like I. I don't feel bad putting that as a goal on there, mm-hmm. knowing that, that, that number one, we're trending towards it anyway, but number two, that even if we don't make it, it's not like we failed at our goal. I think of it as a target that we're aiming for. I, and, and I'm all for those, and I'm all for goals in that, or calling it goals in that sense. And what sets you apart from most people I know, Brian, you're, you're in, in, and I'm counting magicians, I'm counting YouTube personalities and podcasters, you're a worker. You get up and you work. You work really, really, really hard. Now, I spend a lot of time around magicians who have goals. I want this. I want X. What did you do? Like, oh, I did this token ceremonial thing that's going to get me there. You don't function that way. Right. You have a goal, but then you're like, you have to do X, Y, and Z, and, and you're, you're going to put in the work. And that's what separates you from a lot of other people. So when I talk about goals and stuff, I try to be very specific and tell people, like, if, if I talk to somebody who says, oh, I want to get into TV, I'm like, well, what are you going to do? Like, oh, I'm going to get some headshots. I'm going to get this. Like, okay. That's a step, but what are you going to do to build your skills? And and you know, uh, I, and it's that's the thing where I get into the very very much specifics. You think and you function, you act in specifics, Brian. You absolutely do. And like for me, I'm a guy that can have I can write a bunch of ambitions, but if I don't have a game plan of what does this mean I do tomorrow, what does this mean I do next week, I will never get to them. Yeah. Well, I think, but also there's a difference. Like there is a quantifiability to like. YouTube subscriber numbers. There's a quantifiability to Twitter followers. There are strategies to get more of them. You know, but, but, but uh, that's it. Is the strategy? I'm saying it's like you can say you have that, but then you have to like I have, I have a plan. I have a new project, like a YouTube channel, and I wrote down a list of all of the things I'm going to do to promote it. Now I could say I want a million subscribers. It's useless. I say do X, do Y, do Z. That's what you you said. The word is strategy. Well, well, and 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 that to me, like you could start with that outrageous uh, wish at the end. You could say mm-hmm. I want to have a million subscribers or whatever, but you have to be willing to follow through and say, okay, what does it take to get that? What are the actions you you want to continue fractal like to break down all of mm-hmm. the individual actions to where you end up with an individual unit that is something you can do right now today well, to step you closer to. That goal, right? And I think that's like, totally agree. you know, Brian, you used to have a sign in your car that said that you wanted a TV show on a specific TV network. Right. Grass, gas, or ass. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nobody rides for free. <laughs> I, I kept pointing to that to Bonnie. She was not impressed. <laughs> uh, and, you know, like, I I always and I, I talked to you about this, but like I always thought that was weird because now you have a TV show, it is not on that network, and I don't think that you failed, you know, like and and that's like like the, like the who picks up your awesome TV show, it was was always to me a a weird a weird goal, right? Well, like well, it 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 matters in so far as um, 
Uh, it does not matter in so far as a measure of success, like like whether it's on this network or on an, another network, it, 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 it utterly insignificant. However, yeah. it does matter in so far as having a clear vision of what it is you're working towards, uh, whatever it is that you want to make happen, like whatever gets you up and, and gets you fired up. You know, uh, the, the, the radio host, uh, Dave Ramsey, talks about uh, with financial planning. He says, uh, yes, by the numbers, that's a great theory. That's great. However, you know, finance is not entirely mathematical. It's psychological. It's, in fact, it's primarily psychological. You need to have something that inspires you, that gets you to take action towards your goal. And in that regard, I think that even though – Ultimately, you know, my television show was on another network instead of this network. Uh, that's fine. That's great. I, 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 can, I can adjust my definition of success. But meanwhile, having a specific uh, – and by the way, you know, uh, strangely enough, that, that goal perversely became true overnight one night. You know, I woke up one morning and just discovered that the show I was already doing – was suddenly on that network. <laughs> well, I mean, all right. If you want to just spell out, I mean, I mean, I, but, but 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 again, like, uh, I mean, my point is is that it doesn't hurt to have a specific goal, uh, especially if you have the flexibility to uh, redefine success. If, I'm going to point out a little detail too that that, that I've overlooked. <laughs> ah, take that detail. <laughs> I punished that detail. <laughs> Brian put this note in his truck. The significance being in his truck, not in his computer, not in his workstation, not above his Xbox, whatever, but in the vehicle. Now, for much of what you've done, when you're doing your college shows, you spent a lot of time traveling across the country in your truck. Yep. This was how you got from point A to point B for work as a performer as doing this. It wasn't above your workstation where you're slapping together submarine sandwiches at Subway. Yep. It wasn't something that you know sat above your Star Wars toys. This was... This was the time you spent working towards building your career as a performer. There was this constant reminder. It'd be like being in your dressing room, the note in your dressing room. My goal is Broadway. My goal is this. Yep. And that's, I think, is what's very important is Brian was reminding himself of this while he was working towards, you know, doing the physical work of something that was going to lead him to there. Well, so, so walk me through the, uh, the Andrew version of this, because I know that I, I know that like, it's clear that you've thought about this a lot about the, the do's and don'ts and what you are and are not comfortable, uh, laying out for yourself on the to-do list. Like, I, how, how do you, like, do you, do you post your goals? Where, where do you post your stuff? Um, I don't really post my stuff so much. I mean, I, 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 I set out and I think to myself or whatever, you know, I want to do X and I might talk to Justin or somebody and say, I think I'm going to try to do this this year. I have, I've had, you know, for the past eight or nine years, I had one overriding goal and that was, you know, to get a TV show. That mm-hmm. was, that was to, to sort of take, you know, take my creativity to a next level to be able to do that. And then along the way I had smaller ones, but, uh, I have a very, very, very – I have lots of pipe dreams, lots of pipe dreams. But when it comes down to the specific thing that stays with me, I've had very few ones. But and, I mean I guess uh, – you know, and, and you for, – for you, Andrew, you have always valued maximum flexibility. You know, outside mm-hmm. of your initial – like of that overarching TV goal, like everything had to feed into that. Mm-hmm. But other than that, you know – you know, you didn't want to lock down. You didn't want to make commitments. You didn't want to, you know, like uh, extend yourself or or make roots because then that next idea you come in that comes into your head you can't chase. 
I, I turned down, like I would not do, I would not book magic conventions or magic lecture things a, a year in advance because I wanted to be available if I had a pilot. And again, I it was doing pilots. I had stuff come up, you know, every two years or something, I'd get involved in another pilot. And so I knew I didn't want to have to go turn things down. I reorganized everything around what I was doing to building a career as a producer in television and building myself to the point that I could be a TV personality, you know, for, and that was to get me to another place too by the way the the goal wasn't to get a, the goal was to get a show so i could then have this other sort of opportunity thing come about um any event but yeah i i was so I had, how, how many at bats do you think you had and and you know uh, it's fine if if this isn't something you're comfortable chatting about but but like i'm curious how many at bats it took before you ended up having your your full on first tv deal i mean the number of times that networks spent money to develop something, either a partial or a pole pilot, or you know, that was money was times when money was vested in it. Sure, four or five times. So four or five, four or five, like like uh, big moments. How many? How many moments of of you pitching or talking or you know uh, stuff that 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 didn't necessarily oh, like require sniffs? Yeah, there infinite infinite sniffs, right? <laughs> like, I mean, I I don't think that there's a <laughs> if we literally went down the basic cable like lineup on your cable card, like I, I could, uh, I, I would feel confident that we could probably go with two thirds of them. That there were at least some email interest, you know, uh, send us some ideas or like we're gonna have a meeting. Let's get ready. Like that. Uh, all of them, right? Like everything, uh, you know, like north of home and garden television. And you have, and what happens is that you go into it and you say, hey, this, and sometimes you get an interest, but then they come back and they say, what about this? And you have to say, no, not that. And that's, that's been a big part. That was a big part was a lot of times it was just like, oh yeah, we like you. We like this. What about doing X? And it's like, no, I, I don't, that's not going to take me where I want to go. And, and how, it's, how, how much saying no did you find yourself doing on your journey? Mm, I mean, it's hard because sometimes it's a very soft, you know, we want to go in this direction and it's not an outright no, but it's an indication that, you know, we're, we don't want to pursue that. And some things to take, you know, you, you have it, you might go talk to somebody two years ago, you know, two years prior and then two years later they come back and they go, do you still want to do this or whatever? And that's happened, you know, that, that's happened where it's a long game and, and you think it's, you think you're getting a no, but you're realizing that executive or somebody like that, I've had it where, I go to one network and exec says, I love you. I don't think it'll work here. And then two years later, the agent says, no, they want you to pitch. Can you bring it there? The next thing you know, there's a development deal. You know, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird place that works and it's, and it's not, you know, uh, uh, at the network level too, like on broadcast networks too, it's interesting because sometimes that can be a very, very long sort of thing. Cause you, you deal with an executive at one point and then a year later they're higher up and they say, Oh, you know, do you want to pursue this or something? And then you have to then, some opportunities you turn down because you go, oh, if you want to go bring this to them, they're interested. But you look at the financials and you're like, well, we can't make it work. You know. I mean also understand that television development is like this high stakes real life game of, of the game diplomacy. Like everybody is out to win. The person who is winning is the person at the top of the, uh, of, of the chain. And the way you move up is by strategically – uh, you know, letting some people around you see your project and then you depend on how much effort you put into getting it on there. And, you know, I think that's something that, that we 
realize as we went along that like a development executive who's excited about your stuff, uh, but isn't 150% excited, isn't ready to risk their job for you excited might not really mean all that much, Mm -hmm. you know, like it it might just mean that this is a thing that they have to say because otherwise they'll seem like they're doing nothing. But in, in the face of everything else, they're just not in the political position where they can uh, make it happen. And things that happen too is like we've had, we had in the middle of, of, of my project with A&E and Brian's project when we're both in commitment to these things, all of a sudden, somebody steps forward and said, hey, we'd love to do a Weird Things TV show. <laughs> and it's like, well, guess what? Two out of three people can't do this right now. Right. Yeah. You know, where were you a year ago? Where were well, you and, this? And, and, and that's the funny thing is, and, and like, you know, we, you have those things happen. Uh, Brian and I were involved in a pilot project that, that you know, we're network Holy was Holy cow. That was actually, that was the weekend that you and I really became friends, Right. Like, 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 we were friends before the well, no, no, no. I mean, like, we had took. only we had only hung out in person once beforehand. Uh, that was in in uh, when when uh, I mean, I guess no names. Uh, w- w- I mean, we could say Las Vegas, right? Right? Oh yeah, yeah. No, I meant like no networks or anything. Oh like no, that. no, 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 yeah. no, no, no. Like, 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 I, I, I was in Las Vegas, and um, uh, Andrew came out, and we had exchanged pleasantries over email, spoken on the phone, met very briefly at uh, the amazing meeting. Uh, thanks to Johnny Savant, um, but uh, you know it, it was really it was really hanging out in Vegas. Followed by days later, they they did um, uh, this network did a uh, a chemistry test is what they call it, where it's like let's just get a bunch of these people together and you know see see what sparks come up, you know. And um, uh, that was when I got to hang out and uh, get to know uh, Dr. Richard Wiseman, who's amazing. And that's where uh, you know Andrew and I really. I don't know. Uh, there was like a conspiratorial vibe. I, I felt like we well, were on the same right. wavelength. I don't know if you know this. So we show up, and, and this, this, this production company had been told by Discovery they were already greenlit for a pilot because they had a really good concept. They just needed to find the talent for it, right? Correct. So they were told. Discovery says, you guys got a pilot. Just find the people for it, and you, you guys are good to go. Brian and I both get called in to go do this audition. I show up, and I, I go start talking to people, and I find out what they're doing is they're doing different mixes of people. Say, we'll have these people go up, we'll have these people go up, and I look at, I say, can I see the list of of you know who you have with who? And and having having been a producer and knowing enough about how to ask questions or some, whatever, some, like, some okay. of the basics, yeah. Of, they of show me the list, yeah. And nowhere are you and I together or paired up, right? And I said. Hey, you know what would be good? Like, uh, you know, Brian and I do a podcast together. It might be kind of fun. Why don't you put us on the list together so we can try this? And they go, oh, okay. All I had to do was ask. All I had to do was ask. ask. And next thing you know, Brian and Andrew go in there and go do it. Well, well, well because, like, uh, it, uh, I, I assume that the producers are like, uh, oh, yeah, no, put two opposites together. One skeptic, one believer. Murder, murder, murder. Whatever weird voodoo. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So anyhow uh, – we get on the list together. We go up there, and it was a great. It was a great together. We had, you know, the other people. Like I think we did. A, we did a great job. Our personality shined. We did a really good example. We got positive feedback afterwards, like this, and then the follow ups, and then all of a sudden we find out, ah, they're not going to do the pilot. Well, I mean, uh, specifically, ah, uh, we fired the CEO of that network, <laughs> and 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 everything's different now. Yeah, it was. And that's, it was one and of that's those. the end. I mean, like, and that's another thing is is especially with television, and that's why like. In the midst of all that, I was always so mystified that that you had like that particular sign like in your in, in your car because I'm always like, like, why not say like, aliens will give me alien jumping powers like for as much 
for as much control over over any of that because it's like you know like you could have everything you could have nine out of ten things go right yeah and then you flip over that tenth card because tenth card is president of the network network gets fired that's, that, that, you're done and and you're you are a hundred percent right uh, as a goal it is a uh, frustrating goal because uh, so much is out of my control however as a target it was extremely good because mm-hmm. it uh, everything I did I was like is this the actions of a person who would have this happen to him you know it's like and, like and that's and that's a really good point so you were able to visualize it and it gave you a visualizing as opposed to like the general I want to show on television. It was I want to show on this network because I feel like I'm a good fit for this network. And even then, it gives you guidelines on like, oh, okay, well, I'm good for this network because I'm this much years old. I have this kind of look. I have this kind of knowledge base. And so if other networks move into that kind of programming, now I know I am also good for them based on that one template. And I, and I want to point out something too. That network – I had gone to for a couple of years. Every year or so, I'd go pitch them, and the feedback they kept giving was, "I was too young. I was yeah. too young. Yeah. I was too young." Which, and, which and by the way, on, on our chemistry test, I remember you had like let your scruff grow out for two or three days just so you could look weeks. almost like an yeah, adult. I, it was, and that was the advice given to me by one of the executives of the network was, "If you can age yourself up, you know, do that." So that was when I started growing, you know, growing the kind of and trying to attempt to grow facial hair was so I could age myself up. Because they just – that was the response was, no, we like him. But it just – and then once I did that, they're like, oh, yeah, we like this guy. Where's he been? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was also – and I don't know if you guys went over this in, in the first one. But like that first pilot was developed for a certain network and it was very frustrating because they had just bought the other coast office of, uh, of, of that network, had just bought another magic Different show. Network. Different network. I know, I know. No, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, oh. no. It was – we developed for a certain network, not the not – the, not 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 the one that Brian had in his car. Then, after that fell through, the network that Brian had in his car got interested, and it was like this: like, okay, we we are now we're back, we're back in business. We just kind of hit the ground because we're disappointed. Now this is going to happen, and that was that final, like you know, the literal kiss of death, the the compliment that killed the project was, well, we do it. But you're too young and handsome. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> bye, guys. Uh, a question came in the chat, says, for all of us, is, so we can say that talent is important. How much importance do you put on networking and who do you know? It's, it is, I would, I would say that given, you know, in trying to do like a, prior to, uh, prior to a year ago, as far as performing magic, like doing outright performing magic on television, there hadn't been a new show in eight years. Don't Trust Andrew Maine was the first show in eight years on like a tier one cable network featuring a guy actually doing magic. Informational shows, Mythbuster stuff, things like that. There was a lot more opportunity to do that. For me, my reputation as a magic magician, a magic creator would help me get a show performing. It was not going to help me get a show as doing sort of more informational. Brian, having done scam school, having done stuff like that, was in a better position for that. I would say if Brian had had my contacts and my networking, Brian would have been on TV five years ago in a big way. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> I, took, I took the long route, but I got there, doggone it. Uh, but you and- got there. But you got there. That, that's, that's a testament to your talent and your perseverance. If you spent the amount of time that I did network and doing everything else like that, I think you would have had you would have had you know you you'd done a pilot before you you did a thing for you know another network before TV, you, yeah yeah you've had you've had other chance but I think that if you were 
you know, I'll give you an example of somebody who is, you know, who's going to is doing a Comedy Central pilot, you know, Justin Willman, right? Just incredible. I would go do I'd go to a network to go talk about a game show thing, something I was not involved in his talent, whatever. And I would see his name there, you know, as the list of signed in, whatever to go talk. I would see that happen repeatedly. This guy has worked that town a lot and put a lot, a lot of effort into that. And he's done, you know, he's done, you know, Cupcake Wars. He's done stuff for Disney. He's done a ton of things. Now he's doing a Comedy Central thing. This guy put in the work. He's got talent and he put in the work. And that's the difference between being there and pushing it and being outside of there. Yeah, I guess uh, uh, that's, that's, a, that's a wild thing to watch is the traditional Hollywood model. And I guess um, – uh, I mean, I think you're right in that I'm five years late because I refuse to play the traditional Hollywood game. Traditional Hollywood game is to meet all the people, uh, figure out what you can and can't flex yourself into, you know, doing and uh, and and make yourself available for all these things. Whereas, um, like, I, I, I'm at a funny age. I'm too old. I'm 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 older than the vast majority of the YouTube generation, but younger than most of the people who play the traditional Hollywood game. So as a result, like I'm left, I'm left thinking in terms of like, well, you know, why bother to go ask permission from any studio? Well, but also here's the, here's the big difference between you and, and Andrew on that. Andrew was LA before he lived in LA. Andrew spent as much time as possible and, and had connections and pitch meetings and was kind of constantly, uh, in in California as as much as possible, both on a professional and social level, uh, and, and that's where I think a lot of that sort of came in. That's where you meet those people that make those connections and and give you those elements. Like you know, in, in different in different paths too. I mean, you you spent that that time that you weren't there. You've built an incredible franchise via Scam School. You know, you've got, by the way, Brian Brushwood, over a million YouTube subscribers. What? I don't you know if y'all heard. <laughs> and, now, and, and, you know, I, I spent my time in L.A., you know, working with my partner, Mary Jarris, producing stuff. You know, we produce stuff for G4. We develop stuff for other places. And so, we, you know, I built up, a, you know, I built up an executive producer resume, which is, you know, wonderful to have that now because it wasn't just my own stuff of creating and doing other things that now has helped me in a lot of getting into other areas because that was my, oh, I want to create, I want to be a producer, I need to do that. We both did it differently, and your position is, is and I'll tell you what's great, is like, you know, I've met a lot of personalities. I've met a lot of people who are, quote, hosts. And, you know, I met, you know, and this is a story I've heard repeatedly, but I can take one person who hosted one of these shows that's on one of these kind of like science sort of networks. He hosted 100 episodes. 100 episodes is an amazing achievement. This is a show seen around the world. I asked him if he's ever recognized, and the answer was no, never recognized. And after the last show ends, he's out trying to find another host job. Where Brian, you have a huge following, you have YouTube subscribers, you have people heavily invested in who you are and what you are. And so, you know, your upcoming show could have a very, very long, long, long span. Regardless of that, you've already got this following that most people out there don't have. They don't have that kind of fan base. They did a show that people liked, but when the show ended, the interest in them ended. Whereas with you, it's a totally different situation. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. No, uh, that, 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 that's all accurate. You know, it's like I'm still, I'm still very much, you know, understand everything that, that you know, we're speculating about is very much colored by the fact that uh, I still don't know how 
it turns out. I don't know if I'm making the right decision, but but it certainly feels like up to this point, you know, focusing on a direct connection and a direct relationship with the fans has worked out pretty well so far. Uh, although I think you're right. You know, it's like uh, I, I think in a different universe, if I had played the game of pleasing the gatekeepers, I could have been on television earlier. Uh, but, for, so, uh, but like to what effect? Right. right? Like, exactly. I mean, like a- at this point. If you could go back and say, yes, I am on, I was on television for two seasons on the Discovery Channel, and now that's over, and I don't have Scam School, or Scam School is at uh, 30,000 subscribers, or whatever it was before you like turned the switch and decided it wasn't a video podcast, it was a YouTube channel. Right. Uh, would you make that move? Because I think you'd be pretty dumb to make that move. Yeah, yeah no, I, I, agreed. Like, it's astonishing. We're at a very weird place where uh, the cultural cachet of, uh, that comes with a, having a television show is inordinately huge compared to the actual outreach that you have with the show. Um, there, there was um, – during that chemistry test that uh, Andrew and I hung out with each other, we met somebody who we recognized as being the host of another show. This guy had a primetime show and uh, – I think uh, you guys are telling two stories about the exact same guy. Uh, maybe. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, let me tell you the version as I experienced it. Um, the uh, uh, like, like this dude had a prime time show and was living in his mom's basement. Like uh, that was really weird for me to like. Like I don't. I. I, I don't. I don't. Uh, that's difficult to recognize or reconcile. It's. It's. And that's. That's the thing. It's like I. You know, I'm out here. I'm surrounded by actors and actresses, and everybody wants the sort of the same thing. And it, it's funny because you get people who are just fame chasers. They just want to be famous. And you can say, oh, I want fame. But then it's like, what do you want to do with it? Because just fame in itself, you know, if you look at closely at the people who have that, it's not a, it's not a thing that they, they, don't, they don't enjoy all the aspects of that. People who want to have a successful career, that's different. And one of the things that's come up before and advice that's given, if you ask a film director, if you're an actor and you ask a film director, what advice can you give me? And the, one of the things that comes up a lot is, Act in plays. Do stage. Do stage. Do this. Get as much experience as you can. And you get an answer a lot of times from people out here like, man, it's not, I'm more of a film person. Like, no, you're not. You're not doing – no, you're not a film person because you're not doing films. Right. If you have an opportunity to get experience, go out there and go do it. And there's that weird, no, my dream is this and I'm not going to do anything less than my dream. Well, the, you're – you know, it's a weird – it's a dumb dream. Well, and also <laughs> like – all that matters is is the the product. All that matters is the work. All that matters is how people react to the work. How all that matters that goes leads into that is how you gauge how people are reacting. All that matters at that point is you understanding that there are human emotions and some are stronger than others. And, and what is a good reaction? Uh, what is the reaction you want? And not deluding yourself, not letting your ego get in the way of either a good or a bad reaction of of saying that this is something that I'm going to now convince myself it's what I need to do versus I'm going to take the fact that somebody doesn't like what I do to heart and now it'll affect the product negatively to, uh, you know, going forward. And, you know, it's something that I, I've, I've seen that journey not only in myself but also with the other two guys here or with me. You know, like I think we've all gone, gone through that and it's, it's hard. It sucks. Like, like, like ego subjugation is just a, a, a painful bit by bit process but like if you can get better at it 
like, man, does it make the world easier. Speaking of which, uh, Justin, you, you, I, I have witnessed you do a thing that I did not believe it was possible for certainly not me and probably not a lot of people in that I've watched you say no to TV people who asked you, they're like, we would like to pitch you for a TV thing. And you were like, eh, nah, what's the point? Like, uh, is, 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 is that, I mean, that, I don't know. I guess I'm saying that is a very different take from the world that Andrew and I have come from, where it's like the goal is to get the biggest megaphone you can and shout as loud as you can because that will encourage people to book you for live events later. To to have somebody look at it the way you do, where it's like, well, that sounds like a lot of work and a big pain in my butt that won't necessarily advance me. Uh, no. Well, there's there's a couple elements to that. Uh, the visceral element is imagine there was a mirror and the mirror promised fame and riches and you had two friends that kept looking into the mirror, reading the <laughs> incantation, and they swore that this was the one that was going to happen. And then it led to, you know, uh, uh, short fits of excitement and then uh, ultimate psychic, uh, you know, uh, problems and worry and, and despair. Like, how excited would you be to pick up that mirror and start yelling into it? Uh, <laughs> Fair and that's, enough. And, and that, I think, is, is kind of more of a joke than, than reality. Uh, the reality is that I had a great benefit watching you guys go through stuff and realizing that if I didn't have to, I didn't want to – I didn't want to take chances that I didn't have to take, you know? And – Justin's been in two two TV pilots, by the way. I've also been in two TV pilots. Like uh, you've seen firsthand how it how it uh, how the sausage is made. Yeah, and and you know that was uh, that was a great experience, and and I, I very much like doing it. And I think the the stuff I've said no to was just not the right stuff for 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 me at the time, you know. And and I think you know there's hopefully I hope that there are are opportunities going forward where uh there are better shots at it but like andrew said i mean like to me it really i i have a a, i have a lot of opinions on television (laughs) you know and i i speak them loudly but i mean especially to my friends but uh there there my 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 theories are the same as andrew's where it's like you know sometimes you just got to say no because it's just not the right moment it's not the right time you know you have other stuff that you want to do uh, you have other obligations that you need to have. And, you know, the stuff I've said no to, I've, I've just kind of been like that, you know. Uh, and, and then other times it's like you give a soft yes of like, yeah, no, I'll be, you know, if you're interested, if something comes interested up. Interested to hear more. Sure. Here's my number. Call me. But I you try know, very deliberately to not get emotionally invested in stuff. Like that's that to me is the, you know, you, you got to have a real – I don't love them hoes kind of uh, mentality to survive. <laughs> that's been, that's been like the bottom line. Like I, you know, I, I never mentioned a TV project until they mentioned the A&E thing. And I'd been working, you know, everything else I had, every other pilot, everything else I ever did, never mentioned anything. Cause I just didn't, didn't, I didn't want to put it out there in the world other than where I was working on it because there was just no value to it. In my opinion, you know, on iTricks, you know, we would cover magic news. We'd talk about stuff and yeah, we had everybody to come to us to say, oh, I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I never, iTricks is our magic news site, by the way, iTricks.com. Never talked about it because it was just, unless 
there was something was going to get in front of people, I didn't want to mention it. And I'm still that way now. I'll talk about past stuff, but I, I kind of have this, you know, there's some things I'll mention up. I'm like, oh, like I might mention like a book option or whatever, because options don't happen. I mean, options, statistically speaking, you know, you know, the chances that you know, whenever somebody says, ah, I'm developing my book or whatever, working on this. And we got Soon these people to be involved. a major motion picture. Yeah. I right. mean, unless, unless this it's, it's, you know, there's people on set shooting this thing you know, those things don't happen, you know, and then I have author friends who get excited and tell people, and that's maybe part of what they create for their fan base or whatever. But for me, like, I don't want to talk about that stuff because it's like, it's not real, you know? Right. Um, but, uh, to the question we got from Marcin who wanted to know a bit about the, uh, as far as when do you give up or when do you pursue or whatever, you know, when you're, when your idea isn't catching on in the world, there can be several reasons. One of it is is that there's an information gap that – I mean, first it could be just it's not fitted. It's just not a – you know, I have people who – I had a friend the other day is like, hey, you know, you know I, I, I want to do a reality TV show because I'm doing this thing that's kind of interesting. And it's like, well, yeah, that thing you're doing is personally very interesting to you. I would never be able to go in front of a network exec and sell them on the idea that this is interesting because we can think of thousands of people doing the same thing. That's one part is, you know, is your movie idea, your script, your story or whatever, is it that original or is it that? You want to know what the world is like around you. And in television, I read all the trades every day. I'm reading stuff. I find out what's getting picked up, what's not. And I can tell you the difference between an idea that would sell today versus something that would sell a couple of years ago. Roughly speaking, you never know when you walk into a room what an executive wants. But people go, oh, how about this? And I'm like, well, that, that was something that would have worked five years ago. Things change. You need to have an idea of how that works. And is your idea, does it adapt? The show I tried to pitch when I first walked into L.A. was not what ended up on television. The thing, you know, that, that it excites me the most is seeing where things are going. But that's the funny thing is that, like, you know, where you start and where you end up. And it's not just a matter of things changing, but tastes change. Sure. Well, now, and, and, and also there are certain realities. Uh, you know, the, the way uh, uh, Jason and I first pitched uh, Hacking the System was essentially like how to get away with murder, like, like full on. We're like, all right, so you totally killed someone and you need to vanish off the grid. Here's how you destroy your hard drive by making homemade thermite. And, uh, and you know, af- after the, 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 the rush of, of excitement, you know, from various networks, the reality of like, uh, also, Procter and Gamble will be a sponsor for this, so they probably don't want you specifically talking about murder and getting away with it. So, you know, uh, the show evolved. They'll into save something. their ad dollars for Shonda Rhimes' How to Get Away with Murder. Yeah, exactly, that's fiction. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the uh, uh, you know, I don't know. It's like uh, the show evolves into something that is more approachable, something that uh, you know uh, that that has a more universal appeal. Um, I don't know. It's a uh, but, but you're right. I mean, it's like there's, there's a certain amount of flexibility that has to come into your play for that. You, yeah, you have to understand the market chance. That's one thing is maybe your idea isn't suited for the market or maybe it needs to be tweaked to that. Uh, another thing is we talked about talent or skill set is, is, you know, often our ideas are bigger, you know, they're, they're bigger than our feet can fill. And you have to have a plan to how do you get there? How do you get from point A to point B? For me, when I realized that I wanted to do on-camera stuff, I started producing magic videos. And I started putting a camera in front of myself 
and putting out a lot of them and getting in the habit of watching myself on video, not performing on stage, but talking directly to the camera. Very different. Down. Very, very different experience, by the way. Like, uh, like uh, on the one hand, I am super thankful for my years and years and thousands of hours of stage show experience. Also, all of that goes straight out the window as soon as we record anything in front of a camera. Yeah, and so for me, it was the more time I spent sitting on my couch talking to the camera and then watching that and editing my own stuff and noticing, ah, I do this, I shouldn't do this. This is a little tick I've got to avoid. That got me that much closer to the point that I could actually just star and you know handle my own show and be the only person that's in it throughout uh, to a greater or lesser success, depending on how you view these things. But that was, you know, I got people to pay for it, you know? And that was, that was where I put in a lot of my work was just, I had the ability to say, well, I know I'm not going to get there, as you point out. Like, going on stage isn't going to give me all the skills I want. What really is going to help for doing TV, which is, hi there, how are you doing? What's going on? It was going to involve just sitting and figuring out how to talk directly to that camera. But before we wrap things up, uh, do you guys want a blue sky for a little bit about what a, a Weird Things TV show would look like? I mean, I, I feel like that's an unfilled space right can now. We talk about, can we talk about the pitch we had with the overlord our 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 patron character that would send us to these various places because he was uh oh shoot playing, i i, I think the can. part I mean, of I, an eccentric uh millionaire because he is indeed in real life an eccentric millionaire i i feel like we can talk about it i don't sure. i don't know no sure okay um uh alternate reality 5 years ago uh me Maybe less than that actually yeah, okay, four years ago, yeah. Me and Justin and Andrew sitting in the exact same coffee shop where uh, later, uh, uh, two years later, we would be playing the Go game uh, at our South by So Wasted event, Justin. That was the same coffee shop. That was, that where, that was where the Agent Mobius was, Correct. was a station. I think that was the next year, actually. Correct, okay, yes. But in that coffee shop, uh, we three sat down with one Richard Garriott, uh, to pitch uh, to pitch a a, a, a story about uh, Richard loved the idea. We made a, a sizzle reel and everything where it was uh, the idea would be that me and Justin and Andrew would go out and find things for our you know um, you know uh, quirky benefactor who uh, was a crazy millionaire collector and who lived course, in a castle who lived in a castle and went to space <laughs> yeah and so this was like his his uh his insatiable uh lust for the fringes of humanity uh would uh lead him to send us his uh lovable but uh eccentric henchmen <laughs> Uh, throughout the world. And so find- the idea the idea would be that it would be a little bit of a travelogue of us heading out there. There would be, I'm sure, some disputes between the three of us about X, Y, or Z. There would be a negotiation for what we could afford to pay for this curio. And, uh, and then ultimately, we would do the deal or not. Uh, I, I loved it. I thought it was a really cool idea. I'm sad that it didn't happen. Yeah, that was... That was a really good idea. Also, <laughs> it was a pretty dope show. He uh, also played. I mean, that would uh, he, he mixed very well into the uh, into our our little universe too. Yeah. That's um, one version. That's one idea for a show. And and then, you know, it's you have to think there is on one hand, there's like what would what would be very interesting for us to do. What yeah. would be good television? What would the market want to see? 
And, and you need to find that intersection because you can come up with something like, oh, this would be cool, but it would not be fun to produce or fun to do. And that's, that's a big thing, too, as we think about now is now with more experience in our belts. It's like, well, what don't we want to do? Like I, I never wanted to do like an ensemble magic thing until I had my own show. And then, but like the only ensemble thing I ever said I would do would do a show with Brian and Justin because we're genuinely friends. We hang out and we could see how that show would work. But, you know, what would, you know, the problem with reality television, there's not, there's no money in it, you know. And, and when you ask people, you know, the, the people that it benefits the most are ones that have an active business or whatever, then the cameras can come in and film your business. When you're stepping outside of your normal life to go do television, to do reality television, that's, that can be expensive. And that's trying to figure out, you know, and if it doesn't have a payoff outside of the show, that's problematic. You know, and, and I think they're, you know, a, a Weird Things TV show uh, could be really cool. But like if it's not like, like Andrew said, you know, like you, you look at something like like uh, like uh, An Idiot Abroad, right, with, with, with Stephen Merchant and, uh, and Ricky Gervais and uh, Carl Pilkington. And that's like. That's a show where it's very clear that everyone's having fun, you know, like that, that there's, it's, it's exciting for those months where they're suit, where, where, where they're shooting the show. And that's a reward in and of itself, uh, to, to do it. Who knows how much money they're making on it, you know, but that's a, that's a fun thing. And, and granted Ricky Gervais is, and Stephen Merchant are, are stars and actors and directors of, of in, in their own right. But, uh, I would like, I would like to think that if we did something like that, that it wouldn't be like, Oh, how do we muddle through and how do we survive a weird things reality show that we would be trying to as best we can and can control having it be like, awesome. We get to do a weird things reality show for, a few months. <laughs> and you know? also, by the way, people get to tune in and watch it. Like, like the, yeah. the, the, the first and most important reward is the fact that we're doing it for ourselves. Yeah. Especially if it's not going to be the 80s where they're just handing out gigantic monies and legacies to literally anybody who does a good set on the Johnny Carson show. Man, that really is a weird change. Like, I, on the one hand, uh, you know, what a bummer because I would have liked to have been on that tit. But on the flip side... I'm really a fan of the democratization, like uh, the, the the meritocracy of talent that uh, the internet has made pop possible. There, you know, the the rush of people now to YouTube to try to create a brand and to try to create a name for themselves, and and it's and you see you see how a lot of out here a lot of actors like oh we're going to do this YouTube thing we're going to do this thing because you know the problem being an actor is you're you're fighting a thousand other people for one role. Yeah. And, and even if you're, if you can't, if you just say in, in of the talented people, you're fighting with still with hundreds, the, the odds are against you. It's and, a tournament, uh, in the words of, uh, the, the folks who write, uh, Freakonomics. Yeah. And for me, it's like, I've had that, you know, the idea of like, if, if I ever wanted to be an actor, you know, I would, I would start by producing my own indie films. That's how I would do it. I would not, I, I, I would maybe do, you know, one track of doing auditions, but then the other track would be just be spinning my effort and do what Ed Burns, Sylvester Stallone, Vin Diesel, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, what those guys did. And that was they were guys who were on the fringes. They were never going to get leading man status until they did their own little indie films, short or whatever. Shot. And then people go, 
oh wow, these guys got it. That's the path to go. And the problem, and you have to be smart and intelligent to be able to do that, which maybe would rule me out. But I think for a lot of actors and stuff, it's just like they they're very very narrow, very very narrow. This is what I want. I'm going to go to audition. I'm going to get my break. And, and that's why when we talk about goals, I'm surrounded by people who have goals, Brian. With sure. Very very goals. But their path to get there is no different than a thousand other people are trying to get it. Right. Well, well, that is uh, – I guess that's the uh, – I'd be curious to hear what you think of this. Like to me, the biggest uh, fallacy that most people believe is that there exists a ladder, that the way to get to the top of the ladder is by starting at the bottom. That's the dumbest crap ever. The way you get to the top of a ladder is by piling up 25 chairs parallel to the ladder and then jumping over – Two thirds of the way up it, and then climbing up like you like you belong. I, I mean, I don't. I'm I'm afraid to take apart the metaphor, but uh, I mean, I, I think metaphors are like a secret kept in a block of ice. Uh, <laughs> sometimes it melts, but other times it freezes harder. So I have a I have. I'll give you a quick story though. So I. <laughs> I would go work on a cruise ship or resort, and I'd make some money, and then I'd come home, and I'd spend a couple months doing nothing, reading books or whatever. One day in the middle of – I was just I was back, I think, from Japan or something, and I get a call, and somebody says, hey, do you build props? And I built magic props. But I'm like, well, I mean, kind of. And they said, I was given your name by Rain Woodbury because we, we have, we're shooting a commercial. We need somebody to make some props. And I was at the point where I, I was on the – I was looking at the, where the money supply was going down, and I'm like, well – and waiting for the next big gig to come in. I'm like, yeah, I, I could probably do that. Show up, and it's this company in Miami. They do commercials. They do commercials for the Latin America market, but they're doing, you know, they're doing big, you know, Dos Equis commercials, cornflakes, all big commercial brands, big brands. First commercial I get called in on, they're like, oh, we need, you know, uh, you know, we need, you need, you know, we're going to, you're going to help the prop builder. We have a prop builder. You have an art director, prop builder, and then I was going to be the assistant to the prop builder. And they said, we need to build, you know, a cabinet. So I build a cabinet, give it a fake wood paint, whatever, like this, like, oh, we need trophies for it. So I take all my judo trophies, throw those inside of there and build a few other things. I do some practical step stuff. We have like Tony the Tiger's got to burst through doors. So I rig wires and that to help open it up and fit right in. I'd never, I'd never worked in that capacity on a commercial before in my life. Never done anything like that. I'd done a little PA work on, you know, maybe like a doctor documentary, but I had never done any kind of work. They were happy. They said, great. We have a beer commercial coming up. Do you want to go work on this? Prop guy was loved me, thought I was great. Art director guy got along great with him. Show up for this beer commercial. Like, all right, we need to make some sand dunes. So I figured out how to make sand dunes. I build some other props for them, right? You know, and then do all the other stuff in the middle of the thing, like resetting the stuff on the set, all this stuff, all the different things that go into being a prop guy. I just throw myself into it. Now I'd headline my own shows. I had my name on marquees and stuff like that, but I'm here. I'm a prop guy. I'm you know prop boy. This is fine. I get called into another commercial, and they said they call me and say, "Listen, our head prop guy can't do it. You could, we're ready. We're happy to make you head of the prop department to handle this." I'm like, sure, okay, fine. Got well with the art director, and and I now I'd gone from never doing props to assistant prop guy. Now is made a. I was now going to be head of props on one on a commercial beer commercial. Got along with the art director and was realizing that, you know, I might be able to make the jump to art director if I wanted to. A couple weeks later, I get a phone call early in the morning. It's 530 in the morning. Jeez. It's a studio. It's a major Hollywood studio. Like, listen, we're starting production on a movie. I won't name the movie. We're going to be shooting in Miami. And we need prop people. We understand you're a prop builder. You came highly recommended, right? Uh, I'm like, yeah, they said, no, you're not union. I'm like, no, say, okay, we'll pay for your union card. We'll pay for you to go union. You can be a union prop builder on our, on our show, on the film, right? And this is going to be like three months worth of work. Money's great. Money's outrageous. And I'm sitting there in the morning looking at the phone and I'm like, man, 
I now have an offer to be a prop guy, a prop master on a Hollywood, you know, Hollywood film. I got into this thing less than three months ago. Okay. That and is I say to myself, do I want to be a prop builder, a prop master on Hollywood productions? I said to myself, you know what? I don't. <laughs> you well, know? well, it's 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 funny. Um, uh, unfortunately, I can't figure out a way to tell this story without outing the person. But but uh, one of the folks who was a um, production assistant on uh, the TV show that I'm doing, <clears throat> um, who who designed built props. I think he shows up as a uh, uh, an extra here or there. Uh, in casual conversation, turns out was in a major, major Hollywood movie. Like, life-changing, one of Brian's all-time favorite movies. Uh, and uh, uh, at, the, at the time. But it's like, um, yeah, he was a child actor at the time, you know, and so, you know, it's, he found himself in this situation, and there was this thing. And he's like, yeah, I'm that guy. And I'm like, blah. And it's like, Hollywood is filled with these guys who have had substantial important roles in in awesome pieces of work but yet yet at, at, at this moment don't so many of them are not doing what they ultimately wanted to be doing you know you know there's it, it comes down to i mean being a being a prop builder on a on on film theatrical is is well paid very very sure. good great it is a destination for many 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 people and, and, you know, for me, I looked at it where like, well, you know, I know I could take this from point A to point B to some other point. But then I thought about it and I said, that's <laughs> not my path is that it's, it's wonderful that, you know, I'm being, you know, given this opportunity. And, and I, I guess my point was just to say that, like, you know, you get these, you know, opportunities that come up and you have to say to yourself, is this for me? And I was back to like doing the pain your dues, like, I was a very accelerated thing, but you know what happened was is I jumped into the role. I took a lot of knowledge. I jumped into it. And I did that, and and I was you know, working on stuff where they said, "Oh yeah, so and so the director they were an AED you know a year ago." And I think that you can you can work within some systems where they are meritocracies, and I guess that's the key is that you know when you're in a meritocracy, there are far more there are far more people trying to get acting roles than there are trying to be really good prop builders and stuff. And I find in my position. You know, when I go into production on something, I'm trying to find the best people I can find. Right. And that's hard. That's often really, really hard because there are a lot of people who just sort of can sort of do it, but they don't. And then the periphery or this or that, uh, you know, the world would be much, much better and smoother if a lot more people took these things seriously. But it depends, you know. If if you're if you're trying to jump in a thing where ten thousand people are competing for it, yeah, the latter. I mean, that's solution. that's uh, to be honest, that's a big part of why I decided to get into magic. Is like I acknowledge that it's a tournament, but I would rather be in a tournament with, I don't know, two hundred hardcore players than than twenty thousand. You know, it's like yeah. people people. Uh, uh, again, this goes back to the Freakonomics books. Uh, the question is, you know, if drug dealers make so much money, how come so many of them live with their mom? If actors make so much money, how come so many of them are waiting tables? Uh, and the answer is, is because it's a tournament, you know, and, and magic always 
felt to me like a softer tournament. It felt like a tournament I could do well at because there just weren't that many competitors in it. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Like, yeah, I, I, I decided I'd take my chances at Magic as opposed to, like, acting because it's like, well, I looked at, you know, when I, when I talked to the average magician who was doing, you know, who was working, was doing a standard act with not a lot of original stuff in there, I'm like, this bar is much, much different than trying to be a successful actor. Yeah. And then... If you get really, really clever or really, really careful how you pursue things, you can start to, you know, you, you say, uh, you put yourself in a category nobody else exists in. You don't, you know, Penn and Teller are Penn and Teller. Penn and Teller are in their own separate Penn and Teller category. You might say magicians, but comedians or whatever. And that's the thing. If you can create the, the thing that you are, then that's well, really and, cool. and to be honest, uh, uh, this goes back to me reading that book on branding that I've, I've uh, extolled the virtues of multiple times, Origin of Brand by Ellen Laura Reese. Uh, it was uh, uh, when you define your own category, you by default get to be the number one expert in that category. Uh, there was no category for the human crazy straw. Uh, there were plenty of people who had shoved a tube up their nose or whatever, but I was the first to think to run liquid through it and so on. And uh, and as a result, I became the world's best at the human crazy straw. Uh, and, uh, you know, that goes that goes for everything, right? Yeah. And I, I guess and that's a point, too, is but you realize that that was not going to be your career. And, exactly. And, and, you know, we've met we have friends who are people you have people who. And the problem like YouTube is you sort of – we tend to lump – on the outside of you, you tend to lump everything together. There are people who have videos that go viral and that's fantastic. But then you have people who can sit you – know, and they get a video that gets several million views. But a person who can regularly get fifty or 60,000 views on a video, that's special. That's, that that's, is, that's scam school, man. Most yeah. of our uh, – I'm, I'm looking at our past uh, two weeks release and I don't think any of this is secret. I mean you can, you can look at it. But, but in general – uh, each new video in the first week of uh, release, I'm happy if it does fifty to a hundred thousand views in the first week. And by the end of the first month, you know, I'm hopeful that it'll be over a hundred thousand apiece. And uh, that's that's enough to build a, a miniature empire on. Now, I, I a conversation I got into recently this week was I was at a party with talking to some people who were. Up and coming directors, you know, people doing like you know horror and sci fi films, and, and and you know getting paid to do stuff, and they're trying to talk to somebody there, you know, who, who has sort of a big blog presence and all that that he needs to get into YouTube, and I and I said, well, I said, I said that might be kind of cool, but this person has a good thing. YouTube's not necessarily the answer, and they're like, oh, and they're looking at me like I'm the dinosaur in the room, right? And like, you know, what do you know, old man? I'm like, well, I said, here's the thing to think about though. You want to have an infrastructure that feeds off of it. I said, you know, I said, top YouTube personality. I said, you know, PewDiePie, you know, his, his earnings, you know, that we know of are like, you know, four and a half million dollars a year, which is fantastic. It's more than I'm doing. It's an amazing, it's a wonderful achievement. But I said, you know, he's making as much as the star of a top CBS show gets per episode. Right. You know, I mean, you know, they, maybe not quite, but I mean, you know, they're, you, the cast of Big Bang Theory for one episode makes more than that. And that shows you the difference in the economy is that, you know, CBS made $9 billion in revenue last year. YouTube made $1 billion. Wow. The App Store, the Apple App Store paid out $10 billion to developers in 2014. So the App Store is 10 times the market of YouTube. Where Brian, if you've used it to create kind of a franchise, an empire that goes outwards, scam school, things like that. And for some people, it's hard. They, if they have one gimmick, that's not enough. I've had people go like, well, why don't you do just do magic on YouTube? And it's like, well, because it's 
I'm not, that'd be a charity. You know, I know people who have magicians with very, very big YouTube subscriber bases. They're, you know, they're doing as well as, you know, other magicians, you know, they're not doing as well as corporate magicians. You just spoke, you know, focus on that market. It's, it's not the end all be all. Dude, that's why, that's why, um, you know, as I, I absolutely adore scam school, but, but that was a big part of the journey towards hacking the system where, uh, where it's like, I love magic. And if it were up to me, I would do nothing but talk about magic and teach magic and magic all the time. However, they're uh, flat out. There's a bigger market for it's like, you know, you look at what I do on scam school. What I do is I run my mouth off and I give people an aha moment where they have a surprise and they learn something that they will be able to use in their life. Why does that have to just be magic? You know, why can't it be bigger and, and more expansive? And that's that's where hacking the system came from is scaling up. You know uh, uh, what? What I appear to have a skill as now, and now having said that, uh, dude, it's terrifying to step outside your comfort zone. It's terrifying to start doing a script that's not the uh, you know the stage show that you've done for fifteen years straight. But also, Brian, I like both Scam School and Hacking the System for you will serve to feed the greatest generator of revenue that you've figured out over the last two years which is the scam stuff store right you know like that has been that was i mean because like if you were still in a position where scam school just hit billion subs right and you have hacking the system coming out this would still seem like a far more perilous kind of moment for you in the absence of the scam stuff absolutely absolutely i would say i would say between uh uh uh, YouTube revenues, uh, and again, I'm I'm trying to do the delicate dance of staying appropriate. But but if you know anything about YouTube revenues, and you could go to socialblade.com and uh, take a look at the estimated revenues, uh, YouTube revenues and television revenues both um, between the television show and the YouTube channel. If that was it, yeah. there is no possible way I could afford to feed my family and. Employ John and Brandt, they, 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 uh, which are all, which are necessary at this point. Correct, necessary to uh, produce correct. Scam school. Correct, correct. Uh, figuring out the the ancillary. Well, and I guess uh, I, I'm lucky, and and I bet uh, Andrew is in much at the same position with your TV show. Uh, I'm lucky in that my play was never to have the TV show or the YouTube channel put food on my table. My play was to open up more opportunities with both of them. And, and in that regard, you know, if you have, whether it's, you know, uh, my original thought on the YouTube channel was that this will generate uh, sales for the stage show on the back end uh, and has evolved into, it'll, you know, sell stuff on scamstuff.com. Uh, same thing with the television show. The television show, you know, the money itself would not justify me in my investment. However, it does look like, you know, because of the uh, the asymmetrical cachet that uh, television has, it looks like it could open up a number of speaking opportunities, which I'm which I am interested in. Yeah, you'll get there. Yeah, there'll be other opportunities for, but and that's that's a very 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 important thing that I think that a lot of people don't realize that. Like I I talked to you know magicians like ah, I want to I want to do TV and it's like well you know what's Why? your for me it was like yeah I, I knew the economics of it. My goal was never TV was my business plan. You know like it can be part of a plan, but that that's not. It's not going to work, and even then, you know, you you best case scenario, you get a few years at it, and then you got to try to reinvent yourself. You know, uh, and you can do you know what Chris Angel does, and parlay that into a 
Las Vegas show where he has to step foot on theater stage every night and go do that, which sounds like a lot of work, and then worry that when you're not on TV, you're, you're getting your name out there. Um, it's it's a challenge, you know. And a lot of people they don't they don't think through like it's a business, you know. But yeah, man, know, I mean, talk talk to Lance Burton about you know the the tail end of that beautiful dream of having a successful. Oh, did did uh, he not dig it? Because all I remember about that story was in the late '90s or mid '90s, everybody was talking about like twelve million dollar deal. Lance Burton, he's made it. He's the most successful money making guy in the world. And listen, he he's got a beautiful home. He's a legend in his industry. He is a Vegas legend. Uh, but there is a video, and I'm sure it's still out there because it's on YouTube, of him getting off stage from his last show. Wow! And if you ever want to see the face of true happiness. You really Lance Burton's face as he walks off the stage where he literally the video is him uh, ending because his act ends with him driving off in, in a in a car. Although I don't know if I'm spoiling his act when he doesn't do it anymore. Uh, uh, but right, uh, Lance Burton bows uh, final goodbye to cast and crew at the Monte Carlo after 14 year run. You want to see this? This is it. Yeah. I mean, I and understand this is. He's a he he has spent a decade being a showbiz pizza robot, you know. Going, uh, it is a finely That's crafted. A What's that? That's a great analogy. I mean, it's like he has he has he has tuned his show. He has honed it, you know, to a to a, a, a razor's fine point. But also, it's like it's his job to show up and do his monkey dance every day. I think this is it, where he just says goodbye and he walks out back. But just look at his, his face. It is, it is the, the definition of that. Man. Dude's a legend. Nicest guy in the world, too. Oh, my God. In a huge, huge way. Um, I got to hang out with him after uh, uh, a Penn and Teller show backstage. <laughs> What's funny is even now I'm looking at him and he's like, only two more to go. <laughs> two more hugs and I'm out. All right. Like about that. All right, let's get the hell out of here. What's your name? Come with me. He's still wearing the countryman mic. That's the moment. Thanks, Edelman. Thank you. That is what it looks like when the weight of the world leaves your shoulders.
that is that is like not to be filled with hyperbole that is not to be putting on airs that is the building ruminating true happiness of a man who has had a job well done and at some point that became a really hard job you know like like to just do that show over and over and over and over again is hard it's very difficult well and and i guess at some point your job becomes at some point you realize like well this is the die that's cast this is the career that i'll be remembered for this is what i've crafted and really you become the steward you become your job becomes just to stick the landing gracefully you know and and he certainly did that you know he he had his opening point he had his ending point and he's out and he's done and in that regard you know he certainly nailed it absolutely absolutely now he directs his uh, – he's directing a, a, a movie and tweets about uh, his dogs and football. <laughs> oh, man. I, I don't follow uh, you know, my oh, it's I really great. Should. He tweets about his dog and, and, and he has like, like the most your dad on Facebook oh, football great. posts of like, I'm just rooting for a good game. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I Lance Burton is your dad. I, 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 I want to get into Lance Burton gossip uh, involving the Floby, but I won't. Um, the, <laughs> apparently, he was a fan of the Floby and was very excited to uh, show it off to people. <laughs> uh, guys, I gotta, I gotta go take care of kids. Uh, this has been a hell of a jam session, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, dude. All right. This has been after things. Yeah. Yeah. It's been after. It's been after. after.